Good morning. Welcome to Northminster Church this morning. I am so glad to see you, and whether you are here with us in person or online, it is a joy to have you with us this morning. I am very glad to be home. I missed you all last week, uh, but hope that you enjoyed having Jason Smith here with you, uh, who is a good friend of our church, went with us to Cuba last, uh, earlier this year. Gosh, that feels like a long time ago. Um, so I hope that that was an enjoyable experience for everybody. So several things to make you aware of. The first is to say special welcome to anyone who's visiting with us this morning. We are very glad in particular that you are here uh, and hope that you will join us in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. We do communion here at Northminster every week. Uh, So if you are unsure of how we do that, there are instructions in your order of worship, or if you just follow the folks around you, they'll lead you in the right direction. Also, I'm going to ask that you pass the worship registry down your row. It's on the inside aisle of, uh, of your row, and if you would fill that out, that would be wonderful. And if you could be as legible as possible, we would appreciate it. Several community announcements to make you aware of. The first is that uh, Kyle Gregory, I think many of you know she had eye surgery last week. Her recovery is not going quite as quickly as she had hoped, um, and because of the surgery, it requires that she lay face down as much of the day as possible. So it's really uncomfortable for her. And she could use some visitors. So if you were a visiting sort of person, uh, go by and see her. She'd really appreciate it. I think she's going a little stir crazy. The other announcement is uh, Patrin and Missy, who are not here yet, uh, have a new grandbaby. Whitney and Chris, who have been visiting with us for a while, uh, had baby Curran Finner King on the 19th. He came in at a whopping 9 pounds, 14 ounces, but mama and baby are perfect, and they are all at home settling into being a family of five, and I think you already know, Curran joins older siblings Camden and Ellery, who are here. Hi, guys. So we celebrate the new baby with all of you. Also, a couple of notes as you look at your order of worship today. The first is that our second hymn, we will not be singing the second verse. If you want to sing it, you'll be singing a solo. And then uh, I'm going to have you be seated after the communion response. We have a couple of people joining today, and I want to make sure we can all take time to celebrate that together. And then as far as upcoming events, you'll see those on the insert to your order of worship. VBS is coming up quick. Uh, We do have, oh, did you have an announcement? Thank you for that, Beth. Uh, Tonight, those of you uh, with kids, or even if you don't have kids, we're going to do a movie night here in the sanctuary. Really simple. We push chairs out of the way. You're encouraged to bring stuff to have kind of a floor picnic. We'll have some snacks and drinks. We're going to be watching the movie Yes Day. So if that's of interest to you, that's at 5 o'clock this evening. And then finally, after worship, I hope you will all stick around for our after worship fellowship. Again, light snacks, some drinks, just a time for us to to get to know each other better and and spend some time in conversation. Okay, I think that's everything. So with all of that said, let's take a deep breath together. And I have you do this every week in part because I need it. 
but also because it helps us settle ourselves. It helps us get ready for worship because taking this sort of time is not something we do very often. And we're not very good as a society at sitting still and at being present. So take a deep breath. Allow that breath not only to fill your lungs, but to go all the way down to your toes. And as you breathe out, breathe out your distractions. Breathe out those summer travel plans that are still coming up. Breathe out any anxiety about upcoming events and that gnawing realization that school is just around the corner. As you breathe in, know that you are loved by God just as you are. And then please join me in our call to worship. Children of God, welcome. Welcome to this place of hope and perseverance. God invites all of us to share in this good news. In gratitude for all of this, let us worship God.
young friends. We have a new friend today. What's your name, sweetheart? Is what? It's, I can't. Ava, thank you, I couldn't hear her. I'm glad you're here. So I have a question for you. Have you ever heard the phrase chosen family? Have you ever heard that phrase? Well, if you had to guess, what would you think that means? Do you have any idea? No? So chosen family, what do you think, Ms. Ava? Okay. So what do you think, Camden? God chose your family. Yeah, that could be part of it. What we usually mean, that's a really good guess, what we usually mean is people you might not be biologically related to, like they might not have given birth to you, but they're still family. They're still very special people in your lives. So I'm going to read you a book, at least part of a book, so that you can understand this a little better. My bear. Yep, right there. Can you sit down for me, my dear? Thank you so much. It just helps everybody see. All right, I'm going to read it, and then I'll show you pictures, okay? I'm not going to read the whole thing, so if you want to read the whole book, you can do that after church. This is called All Bears Need Love. One summer day, baby brown bear arrived at City Zoo. All the animals gathered to see the new cub. Whoops. That's my earring. I'm sorry, you have a boo. Strange new faces frightened baby brown bear. Come here, baby, said Mama Polar Bear. Okay. You, the other animals gasped. Of course, said Mama Polar Bear. All bears need love. The giraffe scoffed, but he doesn't look like you. I think he's beautiful, said Mama Polar Bear. The elephant frowned, but you don't know where he came from. What matters is that he's here now, said Mama Polar Bear. The camel spit. He's an outsider. He'll never fit in. I'll make sure he knows he belongs here, said Mama Polar Bear. And they have other animals that talk. We're going to skip over them a little bit. So all the animals have an opinion. And they all feel okay telling Mama Polar Bear about it. The lion roared, will he be raised as a brown bear or a polar bear? He will be the best of both of us, said Mama Polar Bear. Yeah, that's right there. All right, sit down, sweetie, so everybody can see. Thank you. That day, the polar bear family grew one baby brown bear bigger. And in the evening, when all the animals were asleep, only one whisper could be heard. Close your eyes and sleep, little one, maybe Mama Polar Bear said. And always remember that I am yours and you are mine because all bears need love. So what happens is Mama Polar Bear adopts the baby brown bear. They become chosen family. She chooses him to be her baby. Now, I'm telling you this, and I read you this book, because in a few minutes, you're going to hear, if you stay in big church, you're going to hear a scripture about three women who choose to be family as well. They aren't biologically related. Their names are Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah. It's kind of a funny name, isn't it? Orpah. They aren't biologically related. The two, Ruth and Orpah 
are married to Naomi's sons. They are her daughters-in-law. And yet they choose to be family. They're committed to each other. They love each other. And it's a really important story because, especially for a lot of us here at this church, we aren't always part of our biological families or our biological families are far away. But this church can be our chosen family. It can be people we choose to spend our life with. It can be people that help raise us. And the biology, whether or not we're related by blood, doesn't really matter because we love each other. And that sort of thing is even in the Bible. So I want you to remember that family are the people you choose, not always just the people you are related to. And both are really, really wonderful. Okay? All right, now, we're going to say our prayer. So I want you to turn and face the congregation. Most of you have done this, you know. So sit on your bottom, hands to yourselves, please. And you're going to, I'll say the first line, you say it back to me nice and loud. All right, ready? Adults, you're welcome to join in. I see the face of God in you. Okay, I heard more adults than kids, so kids, you need to be louder. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love of Christ comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. O holy child of God. Amen. You go back to your seats now. Thank you.
Let's pray together. Loving God, we may not be able to confront kings or challenge presidents. We may not have the capacity to divert resources or uplift communities. We may not have the voice to silence the noise of war or the words to negotiate peace between armies. But as we follow you, O God, we are able to do something. So we pray that you would inspire us to commit to and act on the small difference we can make. May we bring peace through small acts of gentleness and reconciliation. May we bring wealth through small contributions and collaborations. May we bring safety through small acts of consideration and acceptance. May we bring wholeness through small acts of care and service. And in the small ways, O oh God, may our small difference make a big contribution to your saving, loving work in the world. Amen.
Now hear this reading from the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Mahalon and Kilion. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Mahalon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had again blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, we want to go with you to your people. Why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be be to God. Let's say our prayers. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. So I'm going to ask you to think for a moment about characters in the Bible. Okay, think for just a moment. Who comes to mind first? Now, by show of hands, did anyone not immediately think of Jesus? Did you think of somebody else? Seriously, raise your hand. Did you think of Jesus? Who thought of Jesus? All right, thank you for being honest. Did anybody think of a New Testament figure like Paul or Mary, one of the disciples? Anybody? Two. 
How about Old Testament? David, Abraham, Moses? Okay, a couple more. I'm really, really hoping after more than, well, almost a year together, 31st will be a year that we've been together, uh, at least a few of you thought of a woman. Anybody think of a woman? Good, gold star. Sarah, Rebecca, Hannah, Esther, Mary, any of those are good options. But I'd be willing to bet that a few people might have escaped your thought process. Did anybody think of Jonathan, David's best friend? What I thought. How about the Old Testament prophets Hosea or Obadiah? Right, right. Those are books in the Bible, by the way, both of them. <laughs> what about pillars of the early church, Priscilla, Aquila, or Phoebe? Anybody? No. Now, see, such oversight to these minor characters is normal. These characters have shorter stories. They only appear for a few verses besides better-known, more prolific figures. So it's very normal that these are not the folks that come to mind for us. But what we're doing in this series, and what I want you to remember, is that even the most minor of characters has a story worth contemplating. For their inclusion in the text, the fact that they are mentioned at all, assumes an encounter with the divine. So this morning, as we celebrate this glorious story from the book of Ruth, I'd like for you to imagine it with me in what I'm going to call a minor key. I'd like for you to imagine with me about a character who is rarely focused on. Imagine with me about the untold story of Orpah. Here's how she spoke to me this week. Most of you know me as a footnote, a byproduct, a foil for my better-known beloved sister Ruth. In this little jewel of a story, I'm the example of what not to do. I'm the less loyal daughter-in-law. I've become a teaching tool about a lack of faith, someone operating out of fear, a woman who doesn't love her mother and sister enough to stick around. But there is so much more to my story than a few verses. From the beginning of my marriage, there were challenges. My husband's family was foreign. They had resettled in my homeland of Moab due to a famine in their homeland, Bethlehem. And to, date, to this day, I'm surprised at this choice due to the antipathy of my husband's people for my homeland. In one of their psalms, their God calls Moab my wash basin. But settle they did, strangers in a strange land, when death came for the first time. Now, I never met my husband's father, Elimelech. He died before we married, but Mother Naomi spoke of him often, and I believe she grieved for him for the rest of her life. When Elimelech died, Naomi was left with two sons, Mahalon and Chilion, who were assimilated into the culture by marrying Moabite women, me and Ruth. And for a time, we were happy together, a normal, unremarkable family. Then death came a second time, and in the space of a breath, Mahalan and Chilion were gone too, leaving Mother Naomi, Ruth, and me to fend for ourselves. Now, it might sound odd to you, women being so independent in your world, but for us, being without men made us vulnerable. Even as we grieved, we knew we needed protection. Mother Naomi had heard that the Lord had once again visited her homeland. Their famine was over. 
So Naomi decided to return to Judah, leaving Ruth and me to choose what we would do. Now this was a first for me. I had never had the ability to make decisions about my own life. And even with such freedom, neither of the paths that lay before me were safe. Neither would be easy. But Naomi and Ruth were my family, so I went with them, prepared to start a new life in a new place as a refugee. Almost immediately, Naomi had second thoughts. Turning to me and Ruth, she pleaded, pleaded and commanded us to return to our mother's homes, for she knew, of course, we weren't just widows, we were fatherless. After all, that was one of the main reasons we chose to marry outside of our ethnic group. At that moment, I comprehended the heaviness of Naomi's grief, for despite her commanding tone, her heartbreak was clear. Her usually joyful face was clouded with despair, her shoulders drooped, and she had aged 10 years in a handful of days. How could Ruth and I leave her? Speaking through tears, my sister and I said in one voice, no, we will return with you to your people. Looking back now, I suppose it was naive of us to think such a statement would end the conversation. Naomi was a stubborn woman even before her grief consumed her. But as she turned toward Ruth and I, it was clear something in her had changed, compressed, hardened. Narrowing her eyes in a way only a mother can, Naomi gave her voice new realities. And she voiced the reality of what our life would be if we stayed with her. Go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come with me? Do you suppose I still have sons in my womb who can be your future husbands? Go back, dear daughters. On your way, please. I am too old to get a husband. Well, even if I said there's still hope, in this very night, got with a man and had sons, can you imagine being satisfied to wait until they're grown? Would you wait that long to get married again? No. No, dear daughters, this is a bitter pill for me to swallow, more bitter for me than for you. God has dealt me a hard blow. Spoken so plainly, the truth of Naomi's words ripped across my heart like a bandage being ripped from a gaping wound. I'd been able to ignore the truth the first time she told us to turn back, for I was filled with love for these women who had become my family. More than that, Naomi and Ruth understood me in a way no one else could. I didn't have to explain my heartbreak and fear to them. Our grief and our loss bonded us. Perhaps that's why I tore myself away. Tore myself out of the tears and sorrow and grief. Perhaps that's why I stood, pulling myself up from the human puddle the three of us had dissolved into there on that road to Judah. Perhaps that's why I kissed Naomi, embraced Ruth, and turned for the first time in my life in the direction of my choosing, into the unknown I alone decided upon. I had no way of knowing that in walking away, walking alone, I would leave the two people I knew and loved best to rewrite history. After all, my sister Ruth remarried and became the great-grandmother to King David, Israel's most celebrated ruler. Many centuries later, this same sister with whom I had gathered water and lovingly complained about our husbands became part of the lineage of Jesus. 
To this day, you tell her story to your children. You marvel at Ruth's unshakable commitment to Naomi. To this day, my sister is an example of faithfulness in the midst of grief and a wildly unknowable future. She and Mother Naomi are models of what it means to be sacrificially dedicated to another person and to put that person before yourself. And though I find it odd that Ruth's sublime words to Mother Naomi are so often used in your weddings, for maternal love and desperation are what drove her to speak, not relig- or romantic love. I am brought back to our final moments together on the road each time I hear this poetry. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee, for whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people will be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die, and there I will be buried. For the Lord has done so to me, and more also, if I ought but death part thee and me. As for me, I long ago made my peace with being a footnote. After all, I walked away, and you will never know the rest of my story. But my hope is that I might be thought of as a faithful and perhaps even more obedient daughter than my dear sister, for I did what was asked of me. I wasn't unfaithful or disloyal or even cowardly. I was obedient. And though it may not seem so in your modern world, my choosing to walk alone was enormously brave. Enormously brave. That's the phrase that rings out to me about Orpah. That and wondering what in the world she was thinking traveling on her own. I have serious doubts that Orpah reached her destination after walking away from Ruth and Naomi. But that doesn't mean that this most minor of characters doesn't have something to teach us. For the good news this morning is simple. In the impossible moments of our lives, God is there. In crisis situations when even our best efforts and our most educated choices fail to keep us safe, God is there. When we are faced with something for which there are no good solutions, God is there. In grief and loss, God is there. For immigrants starting over in a new land, God is there. God is there for widows, for women, for the marginalized and exploited. God is there and God is here with us at this very moment. My friends, the richness of this Ruth text is enough for 50 sermons. You won't be surprised to hear that this is one of my favorite stories anywhere in scripture because I love the commitment and dedication these women have for each other. I'm going to encourage you to read the whole book for yourself. It's only four chapters. It won't take you long. And as you do so, think about Orpah. Think about the impossibility of her situation. Don't be too quick to judge her or see her as anything less than a woman forced to stand on her own for the first time in her life. Be generous with her. Be generous with others. And be generous with yourself. For God is with us all.
As we come to this time of communion in this continuing Pentecost season, we recognize the loving God whose divine lungs exhaled the spirit into the world. God's breath, wind, ruach in Hebrew, continues to transform our world. Before the earth was formed, the spirit of God swirled through voids and shadows. As humans were created, the air of God filled the lungs of Adam and the soul of Eve. This divine air continues to fill us up when our bones are dry and our spirits are sluggish. My friends, this is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. We are the guest and Christ is the host. And there is a seat here with your name on it. So kick off your walking shoes and make yourself comfortable. We are sitting and standing on holy ground. And the best news is that all are wanted and all are welcome here. With our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, our grief, no matter what you bring with you to this table, you are not just tolerated. You are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted. Thanks be to God for a love like that. Now, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. On the night before Jesus died, it was a solemn time around the table. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, he would be seized by those in power. But before he was taken, Jesus introduced this meal to his followers. For even though he knew the end was coming, he joined with those he loved, and as the night lengthened, he took a simple portion of bread, and he broke it, and he blessed it, and he shared it with them, saying, remember me. And then after supper, Jesus picked up a cup, and he filled it with wine, And during his blessing of it, Jesus reminded the disciples that he would go to the ends of the earth out of love for them. And then later, after the day of resurrection, the disciples ate on the beach with the risen Christ, celebrating new life, new hope, new vitality. On this Pentecost, we come to this table. Let us celebrate the spirit of resurrection and the promise of a needed second wind in our own lives. Amen. Right. Together. Oh, Norris, I'm sorry.
I'm going to invite Baron and Naomi to come down and join me down here, please. While they're coming, this is an exciting time for us as a congregation. We have two new people joining today. I think both of whom you know quite well. Y'all come over here and stand with me. I told them all they had to do was come down and look pretty. So, this is Baron, Baron Brandon, correct? How long have you been visiting with us now? November, okay. And all of you know Naomi Kilpatrick for her gorgeous voice, uh, but she is coming to join and be a full part of our church. She's so funny. She said, I thought I was already a member. Uh, Many of us feel that way because this feels like home in so many ways. So we are thrilled that you are both going to be joining us and officially becoming part of the church. And I know this is not really part of Northminster's tradition, but in recognition of their willingness to come and be present, would you all speak a word of welcome to them? If you agree to support them, love them, be their family of faith, will you please say, we will? We will. Wonderful. You got a little yell over there, even better. All right, you all can go back up to the loft. Thank you. Please make them welcome after the service. Let them know how excited we are that they are officially part of our church family. And now if you would rise and let us sing our final hymn. And now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.